and welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I've spent the last day or so getting ready for rookie minicamp that started today, actually, on Thursday. The reporters will be out there on Friday. I'll be honest, I didn't really prepare for rookie minicamp. I, I, did, I, I, did, I did write about it a little bit. I've got a story up on the UDFAs. That'll be up on The Athletic, I think, on Friday morning. But, you know, look, it'll be interesting to be back out of the park, see what's going on in the field, and really just to start to move forward with where this team is at. I did this a little bit in my last podcast. I had Nikki Jabala with me from The Washington Post, and then I had David Aldridge with me after the first round. And there we, we talked about the rookies that they just drafted and started to progress a little forward. But now here today, we're going to really start diving into kind of where this team stands and answer. I came up with six questions to, to ask, including what, what really matters at this point? What, what is this season going to come down to? Rookies to watch, things like that. Here to help me go through it all, my colleague at The Athletic, noted Washington Commanders Ugh. thinker, he is die Mike hard. Smeltz. Diehard, absolute diehard. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Um, sometimes I drive in my car. And I just talk about this draft to myself because uh, I think it's so interesting what the commanders did on a many, many levels, good and bad. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. And I'm going to try to count the amount of times to talk about Sam Howell. I think I'm going to mark it down. And by the end of the year, I want to bank at least a thousand Sam Howell mentions because, of course, that's the best pick in the world. I'm excited. I'm funny because I'm looking at the questions that we have here and I'm not sure where Sam Howe fits in. If he fits in one question, things went really wrong. <laughs> things went really wrong uh, at the top of the depth chart. <laughs> but we'll get to this in a sec. Excited to to break this down with Mike. And of course, if you miss any of those other podcasts, uh, you can go check it out on iTunes or Spotify or on the Athletic app or anywhere you do your podcasting. Uh, make sure you subscribe. We'll continue to do podcasts. Uh, Obviously, rookie minicamp's coming up. Then there's a little bit of a break. Then we've got OTAs, veteran minicamp. And, you know, there'll be some other moves coming here along the way. They did just sign guard Trey Turner and wide receiver uh, Jeff Erickson, right? Yeah, Jeff Erickson. Uh, a former Panther. I don't know if you've Former Panther, before. but not with Ron Rivera. He's yeah, I know. That's what was funny. <laughs> technically the first guy outside of that. Uh, they finally have somebody who signed who never played with this team or Rivera. So how about that? Um, so there's that, of course, make sure you subscribe to the athletic, as I mentioned, I have a, I believe I have a new story up on Friday morning, but if you missed the one from earlier this week, I spoke with uh, sources around the league, including a GM an executive scout to get their view of Washington's draft. There was a lot of talk about whether Washington overdrafted some of these guys or what were they doing? And I wanted to get the perspective of people who are inside the arena, as it were, uh, who were, you know, having the same agenda as Washington in terms of scouting these player, these players. So you can read that. I think, I think there's some good insight in there as well. And of course, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Ben Standig. Mike, where uh, can people find you out there in the world? I'm at Mike Smeltz. I don't tweet from there. Um, when, but... Last time you dropped your LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, And I did have two people two definite i didn't state it they didn't message me but two people definitely messaged me who shouldn't have um who who, who friended me on linkedin connected with me who were definitely commanders fans there's no doubt and i i appreciate those two people one lives in oregon and another lives in someone else lives somewhere else uh it what a thrill 
to be connected on LinkedIn through with Commanders fans. That's what I, I just want more people. So LinkedIn, Mike Smeltz, I'm right. Keep connecting with me, people. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm they, here to get the, you jobs. <laughs> they, 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 there you go. Um, all right. Well, we'll, you know, like I said, we're, we're, we're moving forward here. Obviously, there'll be rookie minicamp. I suspect I'll have a podcast off of that as we get our first in-person look at Jahan Dodson and Brian Robinson and others. Um, but it's time to start thinking more about the overall roster. So um, I may still even write a, 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 a more detailed story about this. And I'm also, I may talk about this. I'm going to be back on the 106.7, the fan on Sunday morning. Um, but for now, here's the question, Mike. We'll start with this. After all that's been said and done, free agency, the draft, who is the biggest roster winner for this team? And obviously there could be a lot of different candidates, but, you know, in the, in the, in the you know, to try to limit ourselves, I can talk, be, I can talk a lot. We're going to try to limit it to like one answer here or question. Mm-hmm. I have an, I have one for me. Uh, you're the guest. I'll let you go first. If you would like, after everything that's happened, who is the roster winner? However you want to define that for the commanders. So I thought you were about to say the word obvious. Is that right? You're about to say there's an obvious winner. In, um, I think, I don't know if there's an obvious, I'm sure. I think there's a, probably a handful that you could, you could pick from, but just for me, one just stood out. Or is the one Carson Wentz? Uh, no. Oh, Although, I'll, I'll, well, maybe because you're saying because they didn't pick a quarterback in the first or second round, kind of thing. Well, I, I say I say he's the I say he's the number one roster winner because Ron Rivera can't stop talking about how they have to get weapons around Carson, how they have to protect Carson, and so the team goes out and signs two former Panthers at guard to boost the offensive line. And as much as we can make fun of the idea that they keep signing Panthers, Panthers who are on teams that got Ron Rivera fired, which I think we should uh, point out, but hey, they keep signing Panthers. They also drafted a wide receiver in the first round. They drafted a running back in the third round. They added depth at tight end with Cole Turner. I don't go too crazy with Cole Turner, but they did, you know, they got a tight end. So now the wide receiver room, you know, I think it was Greg Rosenstein from NFL.com tweeted this yesterday. He said, basically, Carson Wentz's weapons in Washington is better than what he had in Indy. And I agree. I 100% agree. Jonathan Taylor is much better than Antonio Gibson. But I think if you go across the board, you know, one number one wide receiver for number one, Terry versus Michael Pittman, Terry's better. I think tight end Logan Thomas is better than anything the Colts have at tight end, though we don't know when Logan Thomas is going to come back. If Curtis Samuel's healthy, he's way better than what T.Y. Hilton was last year or Zach Pascal. I don't even know if Zach Pascal is still on the Colts. Uh, Jahan Dotson is an exciting at least number three, right? And then Cam Sims is there. Dax Millman's there. Um, I, I, I think, if anything, I know Wentz's future on this team is tenuous, he has no guaranteed money after this year. And, you know, DC fans aren't exactly excited for this Wentz administration. He's the team has still made an effort to build around him and to give him a shot to to win this job. Well, he's gonna win the job. Of course, it's his job, but to have the job and have success. So I think he's the the roster winner. I think he, you know, he got additional weapons, he got more fortification up front. And he got a he got another running back to hand the ball off to a ball control running back who's going to help Wentz 
because he needs to be helped in that way. I don't know. I think I think he's the roster winner uh, to me. I'm interested to hear, though, what do you have to say? Well, I mean, I would just say that, like, you know, I was getting fired up leading into the draft when I kept hearing people talk about, well, if they like a if they love a quarterback at 11, they should take him or whatever. And that was driving me insane because if you're going to make this move, you need to go all in. As a Breaking Bad fan, you know, the term half measure was used a lot in that show. And this is this is a full measure situation. You can't go half measure. Otherwise, what was the point of investing in this guy? And there's, you know, there's reason to be optimistic about Carson Wentz because of his talent, uh, you know, that gets overshadowed in the conversation of the, th- the last two teams, you know, this you know, threw him out basically. And there's questions there for sure, but there's reason to be optimistic as well. And they at least did the thing that they were needed to do, go and get him the help, as you mentioned. So I think to that extent that that's a reasonable view. I was looking at it, I guess, more from like the guys who were already kind of here. And I go back to where we were right when the season ended, you know, we knew Ron Rivera wanted to get a quarterback. But beyond that, it felt like the thing they wanted to get the most was a Mike linebacker. And mm. they didn't do that on any level. In fact, they didn't just not do that. They didn't even add any linebacker um, re- really here at all. And you go back to the owners meeting. And when the topic came up, Rivera said, well, actually, we're kind of liking Cole Holcomb. And we're think we could be good, be good with Cole Holcomb and. You know, we'll see that it's possible they add another linebacker here in free agency. There's still plenty of guys who are out there on free agency. Uh, Alexander Johnson played with the Broncos. Joe Schobert is with the Steelers. AJ Klein. Yes, a former Panther. These guys could come in and that could reshape some things. But at the same point, Cole Holcomb is the clear, not for, forget just the Mike linebacker. He's the only linebacker on the entire team that you could feel good about playing in week one starting because we don't know where Jamin Davis is. We're going to hope for that. They're going to hope that he's going to progress and and can be on the field more consistently, let alone perhaps become a guy who shows like he's worthy of being a first round pick. But right now, Cole Holcomb is the only linebacker they have to, to my way of thinking. So I think that's why to me, from where we were at the end of the year to where we are now, I think to me, he, he stood out as a roster winner. A hundred percent. I'm surprised they didn't, they obviously had a bunch of prior like th- that's what's interesting about the way they drafted like so they're getting a lot of flack for you know taking guys early compared to consensus big board stuff right um and and I, I understand that completely but their plan was and they did stick to their plan was like they wanted these specific things they wanted a wide receiving threat so they that's why they traded down because they felt like they could still get dots in and they did they wanted a defensive tackle so they made the move for Mathis, and they got him kind of early, but they did. They wanted the power back, so they got Robinson early again. Butler, sort of whatever we want to call him, Buffalo nickel or regular safety, they got him. And did. So they they had ideas of where they wanted to get players. And throughout all of this capital that they spent on te- on different roles, they didn't get a linebacker. So you're right. It's like... If you're Cole Holcomb, you're thinking, you're feeling very good, completely unchallenged, and you're at the top of the pyramid for the linebackers. There's no, one, there's not even a young guy who you're like, oh, in a year from now, they're going to have him start over me, and I'm going to be off this team. I have to find a new job, right? Like, he is secure, at least as of now, on this roster. I do think, don't you think they're going to bring a, a someone decent in at linebacker? 
Yeah, and that's why, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of almost like once we finish recording, I'm gonna publish this quickly because that could be somebody who comes in any minute. I mean, th- there are linebackers out there, and I'm for, again forget starting lineup but from a depth perspective. I don't even know what they have there either. I mean, David Mayo and Kalik Hudson, those guys didn't play last year until everything went wrong in that COVID era, and even then, Hudson barely played, and, and Mayo. You know, I don't get any sense that they're viewing him as a guy who could be a real, you know, he's he's played real snaps in this league, but I don't get the sense that he's high, you know, a high rotation guy for them. So, yeah, I ex- expect somebody else to come in. And I will say, depending on who that person is, there is a world where that person supplants Cole Holcomb as the mic and Jamin Davis improves enough that they're like, hey, we have to go with his upside and none, thus in sub packages, it is Holcomb to get squeezed. But right now, that's not the case. He's the clear guy who will be on the field every snap. So that's why, for me, Cole Holcomb is the roster winner. Um, let's go the other way. Maybe loser is harsh, but, you know, kind of goes with the winner thing. So roster loser, um, I'll, I'll go first here. I could have gone a couple of different ways, but I'm going to save one for a different topic later. Um, here's my... I have a few issues with the Jahan Dodson pick, which is very different than saying he's a bad player or they shouldn't have done it. It's to say that when I look the way I look at a roster, um, how do you, I mean, if you, you you spend, you know, draft picks and sign players, how do you maximize each asset to the best of the capability? How do you put each one in the best position to succeed? I know there's competition and that, you know, all that, that helps everybody and blah, blah, blah. But like, ultimately at the end of the day, opportunity is kind of a thing. And with Jahan Dodson and you have Terry McLaurin and you have Curtis Samuel, I don't really know where we're going with Deami Brown now, who a year ago as a third round pick, he was a guy, I forget the fact that they like him, obviously, because they drafted him. I mean, I talked to some people around the league who definitely were, thought he was pretty good, thought it was a really good value where they got him. Clearly, he struggled as a rookie, uh, unquestionably. Um, and I understand why they may be like, well, we got to do a little bit more, but I don't and I get also good that injuries happen. Curtis Samuel, we're assuming he's going to play. But between those three guys, plus Cam Sims, who gives you the one receiver you have, who gives you some size, plus you have three running backs, plus, you know, the tight end. I don't really know. I don't see a clear path for Deami Brown to get snaps. So he went from being potentially wide receiver three to I don't really know where he fits into the rotation at all. So uh, that's why for me, I went with Deami Brown as a roster loser based on what just happened here, not just with the drafting of um, John Dotson, but even Brian Robinson. Cause like I said, you got three running backs now who are going to have to be on the field. I really like that because, so I've had worries about Deami Brown just because I think if a guy shows you nothing, his rookie year, it's a bad sign. And he showed, it felt like he didn't exist for most of the season last year. And you know, I think it's kind of overblown. Like everyone wants Justin Jefferson. And if a rookie wide receiver isn't Justin Jefferson, then they're not good enough when he had such a unique season, Jamar chase, same thing. Um, but Deami Brown didn't even have a Darnell Mooney season. Like Darnell Mooney, a guy, I don't even know when he was drafted by the bears in the fifth round, but he, he had moments in his rookie year with whoever was throwing him the ball at that point with the Chicago bears right when, when he was a rookie and so there was some like excitement and then he played i guess a little bit better next the next year with justin fields and andy dalton but like there's an idea that darnell mooney is is an ascending solid wide receiver and we see this time after time you see wide receivers who flash at least something their rookie year 
and maybe progress from there. Diami showed you nothing. And he was the pick last year that everyone was flipping out about, right? He was, at this time last year, everyone was saying, oh my, Diami Brown is going to maybe start for the commanders. You know, he'll be that third, he'll be real, or they obviously weren't saying the commanders because we didn't know by then, you know, the football team at that point. Um, I 100% agree. By the way, it's constantly confusing to write when I'm referring to something from last year. (laughs) Can I refer to them as the commanders? No, I guess I can't. So I have to use Washington still. That's going to be a whole other problem for me and the other writers, I imagine. But anyway, continue. Yeah, and and when you talk about like John Riggins, a former great commander, it doesn't. No, definitely don't do that. Don't know. Nobody. Just go to Washington and call that one a day. Um, So I I agree with I think that's 100 percent. Deami Brown is that he wasn't my pick, but I do think there's like. I don't know if he feels that motivation. Maybe he's excited by Sam Howell coming in on some level and saying, oh, I'm going to show up and practice now because I got my guy. And that's a possibility. He's going to have, he's going to look better in practice because him and Hal have a connection, but like he should be, he should not that he should be worried, but that is a worrisome spot for him because there's a lot more competition. You know, he's a first round pick over him and all that stuff. Right. And again, that's not to say he can't be, have a productive year. It's just to say, as it stands right now, his path is far more blocked than I would have perhaps liked considering at the third round pick, that guy needs to play and we'll see what happens there. Um, all right. Your turn roster loser. After, okay. So I, for roster, roster winner, I had Carson Wentz for roster loser. I have Carson Wentz because Sam Howell will be breathing down his neck. Ben Sam Howell. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know how this we all know how this is going to work. We're all going to get so excited about Sam Howell. He's going to throw three touchdowns at a preseason game and we're going to lose our minds. But the real answer, he, Carson Wentz is not roster loser. This is like just me trying to be clever. Antonio Gibson, roster loser. Um it's pretty clear did 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 we ever get confirmation was Antonio Gibson actually benched in any game or was it are we are we saying that he was hurt? or that he wasn't in the rotation for various parts of games after he fumbled in completely tragic situations. Has yeah, he ever I, been quote unquote benched? I mean, I don't rem- know if they actually said that it was just sort of the, well, you know, we just got to go. what makes sense. But clearly I think that Carolina game, he was, he was sitting out and uh, there was one other one later in the year, the same thing. I mean, it was, you know, a guy at his level when you're going multiple series without being on the field, um, that to benching, which by the way, isn't part of the reason why I think they've made the Brian Robinson call because when Gibson didn't play for whatever the reason, injury or otherwise, they didn't have anybody else to, you could feel good about running between the tackles and now they have somebody else. But anyway, um, I, and by the way, I'm, I'm with you Gibson. When I said I was narrowing it down to one, like Gibson was sort of my other one and I'll, I'll come to him in a later question, but yes, I'm with you. I think uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough for yeah. him because I know people don't have much familiarity with Brian Robinson Jr., even though he played for Alabama. And he doesn't feel like Najee Harris. He doesn't feel like Mark Ingram. He doesn't feel like Derrick Henry, the like the big dogs that um, Alabama has had. He's been a pretty consistent performer over his career. He's always been, He was either the number two or then he became the number one this year. This Alabama offense wasn't like the ones in the past. It was basically Bryce Young to Jamison Williams, or it was Brian Robinson carrying the ball, you know, and Mechie, Mechie played well, but like, you know, this wasn't like the, um, the situation where there was like 
uh, Jerry, Judy, and Ruggs, and they still had then like another level of wide receivers below them, you know, that were really impressive. And then they had Najee Harris and a really good running back behind him. This was a little bit less of an Alabama team. And Brian Robinson Jr. was like a legit, you know, if you watched him in the college football playoff, you know, he was, he, he was the, you know, they, he basically dominated Cincinnati and Cincinnati put a bunch of, a bunch of their defensive players are now NFL draft picks, right? So he played a really good defense and he dominated and he did that in the SEC. Um, he's a real threat. They obviously did not, the commanders did not feel comfortable about how Gibson um, sort of handled himself in those like tough to tough to get yards, even though I think he's a better power back than he gets credit for. Um, one thing I think is interesting is that when Gibson was coming out of the draft, he there's almost like a choice that could have been made. He could have been a running back or a wide receiver, right? Because what he was like in Memphis. Do you think he regrets not being a wide receiver? Seeing how much money like Debo Samuel, who is essentially the same body type as Antonio Gibson, is going to make. And Gibson's never like there's no chance a running back's going to make as much money as a guy like Debo Samuel. Like it may be the it may also be the best thing in the world that Gibson's sort of like unshackled from being a lead back because then he could be more of an interesting weapon. But I don't know if the team's going to really use him, you know, in that way. But he's. He's not he's not the bell cow. The bell cow Gibson days are they're done at this point because they're going to use McKissick and Robinson in a trio. Right. And uh, I went when when they drafted him and it was a really con not confusing, but it was like, oh, what, what what is this guy going to be? And I remember I went and spoke with uh, some of his college coaches and uh, Greg Cosell and went back all the way back to his high school coach and some others to get a feel for what they thought. And it was absolutely no consensus some people thought he definitely was a running back in the pros some people thought he was a slot receiver and it kind of feels like to a degree Washington is still trying to figure this out which is why to skip ahead to the next question uh what is the most confusing situation now on the team following all their offseason moves and I went with the running back room uh in part for the reasons that you just said I mean obviously Antonio Gibson Still a highly, you know, was a highly productive player last year, over a thousand yards. I think it's like 21 touchdowns in his two years. You know, we we know that that screen pass he caught against Buffalo and just how dynamic that, you know, run after the catch was. And he's productive, but there clearly are question marks between the fumbles, the injuries. Um, you know, it leaves yards on the field. But the reason why it's confusing to me. Like, if you just said, look, here's the deal. Brian Robinson's going to be the hammer up the middle, and Gibson's going to be the guy you give the ball to out in the perimeter, I totally get it. But I don't know if you remember this, Mike. There was a big deal about keeping J.D. McKissick. There was even, like, a, a thing where he actually went to another team, apparently, and then they brought him back, except they and brought the him back. the Bills were so mad. The Bills were just furious. They were, they were not happy. Happened. I love it. But so not so now – you have three running backs and I'm not saying teams don't have three running backs, but you made it legit investments in all three. One was a third round pick. Actually two of them were third round picks. And the other guy you just decided to keep as a free agent, by the way, the quarterback who you have, he doesn't throw the ball to the running backs. The, the equivalent of JD McKissick on the Colts last year saw his reception totals go from like 70 to 30 something. Um, so that was already confusing, and now you have this. And this is where, I, again, I'm not saying this is a negative. I'm saying it's confusing because how do you justify getting all these people the enough snaps and touches 
to make each of their situations work well. I think with Gibson, the goal is to keep him fresh over the full season, which makes sense. He's had these battle injuries. And maybe there's a world where he's more effective with 12 to 15 carries as, or 15 touches as opposed to 15 to 22 or something, right? right. I could see that. And maybe it's better for the team because Robinson doesn't fumble, more you know, more of a true short yardage between the tackles guy. And let's be clear, this is, forget this Peyton Barber junk. This is not something with that guy. That guy was a limited niche role. This is not that. But you still have to figure out how do you get all these guys enough work to justify their existence that to me is why this is confusing. And also what I mentioned before about receiver, like that there's a lot of people here and that's great. And all you'll hear it, plenty of analysts go nuts over how many guys they have. And it is all good. Good for Carson Wentz. But at the same point, how do you make everything work? I, that's why to me in the backfield, it's the most confusing situation. Yeah. And I, I really do think like, you don't draft a running back in the third round unless you have a clear plan for what you want out of that person. Cause we've just seen, obviously running backs are devalued. Rarely do they go in the first, the second round is really when you kind of see them go off the board, but the third round is still a pretty premium spot to get a running back. They must really like Robinson jr. On, on some level. And, and maybe it's part of it. And I think the commanders aren't getting enough credit for, drafting understanding they're not going to pay another guy in the future like they drafted mathis because they're not going to pay deron Payne. unless if deron Payne turns into aaron donald this year then they'll figure it out they're not they drafted robinson because they don't want to pay gibson into the future um it that is a smart move to not pay a running back so i, I think it makes sense from that perspective, but is very confusing about how it's going to work. Because if you're really just drafting Robinson for the fact that like Gibson's not going to be on the team in two years, well, you have to give him a role, right? And like, what's that role going to be? And it can't just be to carry the ball five times a game. That would be a completely wasted third round pick. So they really think that he's going to be a guy who's going to be a solid force for them on the field. Um, my most confusing situation I said tight end uh, just simply because like, so Ben, you know, this better than my, than I do, but Logan Thomas, where are we on like when he maybe kind of comes back? Is there any word at all about that? Um, I don't know if there's a definitive word. Um, our friend Michael Phillips from the Richmond times dispatch talked to Logan Thomas the other day who said, sounded like a guy who anticipated being ready by week one, but also wasn't, you know, saying he wasn't going to rush it. But being ready by week one, I, you know, I don't know. Does that mean you're ready for the start of training camp or or, or what? Coming off an, an ACL in December, I get it. These guys come back from these injuries now far faster and better than, histor- than they ever had before. But at the same point, you know, you can't be back in two weeks. So, uh, yeah. So, no, I don't, I don't know the answer. And behind him, you have two guys going into their second year and a rookie. No, no Ricky Seal Jones type vet, at least at this point. He, Ricky Seals came in later um last summer so they could always add somebody but yeah it is logan thomas and a lot of uncertainty behind him interesting uncertainty but uncertainty yeah and 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 literally for samus reyes it's his second year playing football and cole turner it's his like third year playing tight end right and i know a lot of people are excited about cole turner i have more concerns about him just from his athletic profile i know he's six seven two forty but his 
not a fast 40 bad vertical um not like a great cone drill or whatever like all the other sort of i mean pretty much every athletic testing he wasn't really he was either average or below average in so i'm a little worried uh, about Coulter. So I just think it's a confusing situation because it it gets unconfusing if they just say Samus Reyes, if they realize like, hey, we're not, he's nobody, we're going to cut Samus, we're going to sign a veteran, so then we're going to have Bates, a veteran, and Cole Turner for the first six weeks or whatever it is until uh, Logan Thomas comes off the pup list. I'm just assuming Logan Thomas won't be ready in week one. Um, I just think it's, it's just an odd, it's feast or famine, where it's like, if Logan Thomas comes back, everything is set. And that's an exciting place where it's like Bates and Logan Thomas. And then maybe you're mixing in Cole Turner and passing downs and seeing that. If Logan Thomas is not healthy, then it's like, oh, we're putting all that on John Bates, which, you know, that feels, it feels a little aggressive off of, I know he was like the best rookie last year, but that's not saying all that much. So to me, that's the most confusing situation. Yeah, I hear it. And I have not looked at the free agent options out there for, for a minute, but I'm sure there's the Ricky Seals Jones level player. So you can always add that guy. But, you know, again, looking ahead to, you know, who makes the team, you kept four tight ends last year. You would think you'd have four in Thomas Bates, uh, Reyes, and Cole Turner. I guess there's a world where Samus Reyes doesn't progress or whatever, but he certainly is progressing in the weight room if you see all the jacked uh, photos of him. Uh, there so yeah uh it'll be interesting to see if logan thomas is not ready for the start of training camp it was a very inconsistent group and i will say also to your earlier point about helping carson wentz you know big targets he thrives when he, he thrives throwing a big target and basically nobody throws the tight ends more since 2017 than other than lamar jackson and carson wentz so he, this needs to be a position he can go to that's why i think cole turner uh was was basically chosen Tall guy, tight end, all that stuff. Um, all right, let's let's stay on the rookie front. We mentioned Cole Turner, rookie poised for biggest impact. Mm. I'll let you uh, lead us off here. Um, I'm so. Are, is Jahan Dotson just like kind of off the board? Or are we saying he's involved? Because no, I, I think you can say I think you can say he's involved. Okay, because I'm going to still go for Darian Mathis. I a, a lot of people hate the pick. Here's what I'll say. There's no one to play the third defensive tackle. And how much did Matt Ioannidis play? Like about 50%, 60%? 59 60% basically, and that was with missing one game. And that was also with Tim Settle in the rotation on some level. And with John Allen, Deron Payne not missing basically any time with injuries. Okay, so Mathis is going to play a lot. Like there's no competition behind Payne and Allen. Mathis is going to play a lot. Even if people hate the pick. The guy's 6'4", 310, had nine sacks at Alabama and, like, was a team leader and all that stuff. I know he doesn't feel like the typical Alabama defensive tackle that we're used to seeing. Still productive, still on a defense that, you know, it actually wasn't even one of the best, um, you know, Alabama. It was actually one of the worst Alabama defenses in recent history. Uh, but he was productive regardless of that fact. He's going to play a lot. So... You know, if you're doing the math of like, let's say this this question, you're if you're asking who's going to play the most percentage of snaps for impact, if that's what we're quantifying as impact, it's probably going to be Mathis because Robinson still has that competition with McKissick and Gibson, and Dotson, who know like if he's three wide receivers, they play three wide receivers a lot. 
but they may want to mix in Cam Sims sometimes. They may want to do Deami Brown if he ends up being better. Maybe they, if they feel really great about Cole Turner, Cole Turner will be, you know, a lot of people compared to Mike Gusecki. So maybe Cole Turner will be a slot tight end on some level. So I say Fidarian Mathis, like everyone hates the pick, but he's going to play just by the but just by the circumstances that he's in. So Fidarian Mathis. Yeah. For, for those that like, don't like the pick. I mean, I guess it stems a lot from the kid himself saying, he didn't expect to be picked that high, and then it kind of went from there. Um, I would just say, for one, nobody cares about Fedarian Fedarian Mathis's big board. Okay, he he doesn't know what he doesn't know anything, and I don't mean I mean what does he know? He knows like Jerry Jones's big board. Did you see that? I did. I did. How um, amazing was that? I'm glad to see Jahan Dotson was at least considered within the top 32 picks. Yeah, the oh, our yeah. Cowboys uh insider John Machota, who's been here on this podcast, he somehow was able to like try to like figure out what was there and that thing they had dots in 27th uh which is uh i that the, the, there's a link to that in the story that i put up about um the uh what 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 league sources think of our uh of, of the of the of the guys <laughs> league here sources being jerry jones that's what i love jerry jones literally showed his draft board what, <laughs> right. what a great owner so the but to that point and in, in the same article uh, listening, you know, asking league sources about this, they were all their answer was basically, "Look, this was a lousy year for defensive tackles, and once you got past the group that like Mathis was in, there wasn't much left there." Washington took him at forty-seven. They didn't pick again till ninety-eight, and the for the most part, if you were waiting to get one, you weren't going to get one. Uh, ignore the fact that like Perry on Winfrey was still on the board, whatever. But I mean, just in general, if you wanted a defensive tackle, you needed to take one. And I didn't, the least of the sources that I talked to, none of them had an issue with him going in that general range. So I think everybody needs to maybe calm down a little bit. I mean, the, the bigger question for me with him would just be, is he a two down or a three down player? The, his pass rush skills are questionable, even though he had nine and a half sacks last year for Bama. This is according to people who study these things. So that to me is a little problematic, but that said, you know, I wouldn't, I, I would maybe, you know, calm down on the idea that like, this was like a bad pick because the kid himself said he didn't expect to go this high. Um, for me, I'm also not going to go with Dodson, which isn't to say he won't be the guy who is the, is sort of the easy answer to this question, but they have other people at that position and who's, you know, he's not even it's guaranteed tough. to be out the there. Wide for, receiver is a tough thing to say. They're in the most impact, particularly if they're not like top five. And also like assuming that Curtis Samuel plays what we expected him to play last year, then he and McLaurin are going to dominate snaps, et cetera. Uh, I'm going to go with Percy Butler, the fourth round pick out of Louisiana, because, you know, we talked before about the lack of linebackers. Well, that, that Buffalo nickel position that we talk about all the time, who's playing that? I think the answer is going to be Percy Butler, unless they go out and sign some sort of a veteran player because one Ron Rivera has said he'll be in the mix Two, I, I point out somebody else on the roster to me that would be in the, would be in the equation. I mean, we'll see where Derek Forrest is. And I know everybody wants Jeremy Reeves to play, but you know, there's a reason why he's always lands on the practice squad for week one. And Forrest was considered more of a special teams guy. The, the third cornerback is Benjamin say juice. Who's like an outside corner. Are you really moving Kendall Fuller inside? I don't think so at this point. So in terms of that position, if they're going to play it to the degree they did last year, which was over 50% of the snaps, 
then I think per, who, Percy Butler, I think, has a real shot to, like, Mathis will also play a, a, a large amount of snaps based as we just discussed. But I feel like Butler, it almost could be even a bigger impact because, like, uh, you know, the secondary, the, we're, we're a little bit un, unnerved by the back seven a little bit. So, uh, you know, we're at least with Mathis, even if he's replacing Payne, he's surrounded by guys that everybody else is worried about, right? So he'll see one-on-one and things like that. Butler, you would imagine he could get picked on because he's a rookie. So we'll see. I just think, you know, I'm, and, and biggest impact may not even be good, but I'm just saying impact. He's going to be out there, I think, a decent amount unless they add somebody else or, you know, things can change in camp. But right now, I think Percy Butler is playing a bunch. There's also the special teams component with him. But, um, you know, right now, I think he, unless you want to tell me somebody else is playing the Buffalo Nickel, I don't, I don't know who it would be. I just, for the Howell heads out there, you know, when Sam Howell's starting the last eight games of the regular season, of course, he's oh, the most boy. impactful rookie. So I, I think, I know, because people are clear, Ben, I can, we record this not live. So like, we're not recording this while people are listening to it. I don't know if they know how podcasts work, but that's, you know, podcasts, we record it and then it, we send it out. So we don't get to have the audience reaction while we're recording. But even now, I feel like Obi-Wan Kenobi, when Alderaan was blown up, it's like a thousand voices were silenced at once or whatever he said. I can just heal, hear the howl heads here in Montgomery County where I live screaming, saying, Sam Howell's going to start some games this year. If he's a starting quarterback for the commanders, just one of those games equals a massive impact. So I just you just throw it out there for the howl heads out there. I, I you know, I, uh, I, 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 I'm just going to say I do not endorse we're not we're not starting quarterback uh controversies here uh even though i like the hal pick you know whatever why not it's the best uh, pick of the, I, it was the best I, pick of the draft i'm not saying he was my favorite quarterback in the class but i in part because of where i figured he would go among the top five he was the one i was most interested in for these guys every time i did a mock draft a washington mock draft he was the one i put in high i, I always kind of went with jack cone from notre dame late but in terms of the guy, the, the earlier pick how's a guy that said if he sniffs the field outside of injury to, to people, then things went way, way wrong. Um, Let me just, can I just do, because this is the forum, real quick, Sam Howell thing. Mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett went 20 overall, right? Mm-hmm. Going into the year, if you compared Kenny Pickett to Sam Howell, Kenny Pickett wouldn't be able to valet Sam Howell's car. That's how different they, Sam Howell, coming in, he has been a, a really productive player his entire career. And he gets downgraded because of his last year in college football. He didn't go to like another level. But if you actually look at the year, it wasn't all that different from his other years. And he had a lot less talent around him. Where Kenny Pickett goes from being bad, being not a great quarterback, to being great. He was great his last year. I also think there's there, there's a huge difference in experience. Like I think if Kenny if Sam Howell was a fifth year senior playing quarterback with the best wide receiver in the country in terms of college production, he would look pretty good too. So I just say, I think great value fifth round. It's amazing. I, you know, there's the, he may not be any good. It may, may be a, like a classic, you know, I was in an interview, Ben, you'll like this. Uh, the year Tom Brady was drafted. Do you remember a quarterback? The uh, Redskins at that time picked. Do you remember? They picked a quarterback, like two picks, after Tom Brady, Tom Husack, Todd Husack. Oh, sure. Remember Todd? So sure. I did an interview. I was doing an interview with him for another thing I'm, we're doing here at the Athletic, which will come out 
in July, which I can't name right now, but it's very exciting. Um, it does have nothing to do with the Redskins, but like Todd Husack was a sixth round pick. There is a world of difference between Todd Husack, God bless him, and Sam Howell. So yeah, I mean, and just to sort of emphasize that, I went back and looked at the um the NFL agent survey I do every year. And one of the questions I asked last year, this is before the season starts, what's your prediction of who will be the number one pick in the draft in 2022? The 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 the, the top three vote getters were Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end from Oregon, who went fifth. Spencer Rattler, who didn't even get, who got benched at Oklahoma, and Sam Howell. So to the point of like where things were a year ago, if you had said if, if but last August, hey, by the way, Washington's going to get Sam Howell, they'd be like, oh, okay, like, I guess they needed a quarterback in the first round. No, 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 the fifth round. Uh, oh, wait, what? You, you, you have a lot of questions. But yes, from a purely upsidey value perspective, totally, totally good pick. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll see. I'm excited to see him out there uh, for sure. Uh, speaking of, of 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 the rookies, we'll, we'll we'll breeze through this one quickly. As I mentioned, the rookie minicamp started today, Thursday. We'll be out there on Friday, and then it'll conclude on Saturday. Um, among, along with the eight draft picks, are undrafted free agents. Uh, easy to sort of you know look past them but look danny johnson was an undrafted free agent cam sims obviously jared patterson was the only one they brought in last year he made the team so uh, I, as i said i have a story up on the athletic tomorrow or for friday um going through some of those guys so i'm not gonna go here too deep i'll just two guys just to mention one the fun one cole kelly the six foot seven quarterback from southeast louisiana if they had not drafted sam howe and you told me that he was the third guy. Like, if you look at the pre-draft projections, like some people, like I forget which of the analysts, but some people had him like inside the top 200 of overall prospects. Obviously, all yep. the quarterbacks got pushed back. Uh, he had an awesome year. Crazy stats, uh, video game-like stats, super raw. But he's not going to make – he's not jumping the other three, but like in terms of just something to watch this summer and the practice squad, he's fun. Um, beyond that, I'll just throw out one name. This is largely because he seemed to be the guy that was the highest ranked on the various big boards that they're bringing in, and that's uh, offensive lineman Tyrese Robinson from Oklahoma. Played tackle for the Sooners. Looks like he'll be guard in the NFL. Um, you know, they obviously Washington just drafted Chris Paul from Tulsa to be that guard, and you could probably imagine he's the uh, ninth or tenth guy if you keep. But again, uh, you look at some of these pre-draft lists. Tyrese Robinson was in the same range in a lot of cases as Paul. So, I mean, I, I think he's interesting. I, mean, I get it. It's offensive lineman, interior lineman. Not that exciting. I guess I gave you the quarterback to pay, to keep an eye on, but I think in terms of the 53, there's a couple guys who are interesting, but Tyrese Robinson might be one to keep an eye on in terms of making the 53 as a surprise player. All right. Well, that's it. Cause you didn't, we talked about this in our pre-show meeting and I had a UDFA that I had and you didn't bring them up and I am based this on completely never watching this guy play football. And I am based this on finding his sort of um, athletic profile on a website I've never heard of. But Armani Rogers from Ohio, not Ohio State, but Ohio. Armani Rogers played, was a college quarterback at UNLV, and then he was a backup at Ohio. He is signed as a tight end with your commanders, a very interesting position, as we've talked about. This is from his UCLA Pro Day. He measured in at 6'3", 6'5 and a half, 
So basically, he's 6'6", 233, so a little skinny at 6'6", timed at 4.5640, short shuttle 4.31, three-cone 7.20, which is not great, but not terrible. Vertical 34 inches, which is is pretty good, and broad jump 10 feet, 10 inches, which is very good. That is a super athletic tight end. That is even actually more athletic than Samus Reyes, though he's missing like 20 pounds off of Samus. This guy played college quarterback, right? Who played college quarterback and ended up being a pretty good tight end on this team? Logan Thomas. Obviously, this is like, this is a lottery ticket. You have no clue. Can this guy really catch the football? He's obviously very athletic. He's probably pretty smart considering he was a quarterback, and he probably understands offenses better than a lot of college tight ends. Um, He had a couple of uh, 30 visits with a couple of NFL teams. Who knows, right? But when you're looking at these sort of these Antonio Gates-ish tight ends, these guys who did something else and then became a tight end, whether it's from a different sport or a different position, Rodgers, I mean, he's 6'6", 230 with a four five six. That's exciting for me. So, hey, he's also I'm got, watching him. He's also got NFL bloodlines. His dad played a, was a second-round pick, played like 10 years in the league. Uh, back in the nineties. So uh, there's, there's that too. Yeah, no, he was, um, he was like, there was like two or three guys that uh, were ranked high enough in Dane Brugler's big board that Dane wrote an actual like section about them. Didn't just listen to my name. He was one of them. Um, so yeah, he, it, it totally interesting stands out. Um, yeah. An absolute would be a fun one to watch for what it's worth. He played, he started his career at UNLV playing quarterback which of course is where Scott Turner played quarterback. So, you know, maybe there's some uh, positive Ooh, bias man. there as, as well. Digging in deep, Ben. I love it. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Last one. After all this off season talk, after all the debate over whether they should have taken Jahan Dotson or Fedarian Mathis, or how come they haven't, you know, been really lax in signing people in for agency and what's with all the Carolina guys and all these things. What does it all, what, where, what really matters the most when it comes to this team and success for next year? And sometimes the obvious answer is the answer. And I'm just going to lay it out like this on offense. It's Carson Wentz and on defense, it's chase young. I mean, we already went through the reason why Carson Wentz I and mean, look, he is a quarterback that by itself is going to be the thing. And there's a lot of question marks because of what's happened for him the last two years but there's also a lot of reasons to be hopeful because of the talent he gives them he'll be able to throw the ball down the field in ways just you know taylor heineke just could not last year and it's going to open up the playbook but defensively they haven't changed anything other than getting rid of landon collins they're bringing back the exact same group that massively underwhelmed last year and you know it's not chase young's fault that there was miscommunication in the back seven and it's not Chase Young's fault that Montez Sweat was kind of not having his best year ever or that Jamie Davis was slow to, to uh, transition to the NFL. But it is to say that the guy who was the defensive rookie of the year clearly did not play well before he suffered an ACL tear. And he didn't play well in ways that were, you know, it's not, it's not just to say he didn't have a lot of sacks, but he clearly was not running the, running the plays the way they would want to. In fact, when... He and Montez Sweat first got hurt. The defense was actually a bit more stable with 
James Smith Williams and Casey Tuhill, guys who are clearly not as talented, but they did what was asked. And this is the question is, can Chase Young do what is asked while simultaneously making the dynamic plays that we saw as a rookie that you expect out of a guy who was the number two pick? If he can, and again, it's not just about him, If he, but if he can, it's a, it's a, it's a lift-all-boat situation, and this defense goes from being 28th to you know top 10, top 12, something like that. And that alone, combined with what Carson Wentz can do, changes the entire complexion of what this team is possible of. But if that doesn't happen, then good luck would be how I would say. I, I, I completely agree with both of the players you picked. With Wentz, I'll just say one thing. Ben, I don't, I don't think there's a single honey. I don't think there's any honeymoon period with Wentz. I don't think the fan base has any sort of like, like if Fitzpatrick had started the year and he didn't get hurt in that first game, I think the fan base would have been with him for, let's say, four or five games. And then if he was terrible for four or five games, people say, let's see about that kid who played against the Bucks and almost beat Tom Brady, right? And it would have been Taylor Heineke, of course. I think with Wentz, there is, if he's bad in the first game, people are going to be like, they should have started Taylor Heineke or oh forget for, forget the first game when we're out at the first OTA <laughs> that nobody can see except for a handful of reporters and one of us tweets Carson Wentz throws an incomplete pass to Terry McLaurin that play <laughs> the play they can't even see will be the one where they go put in Sam Howell and, and then and then yeah and then Sam Howell th- throws a perfect fade to some UDFA who no one has any clue who that is but you know a guy who won't play in the NFL ultimately so, yeah, there is so much pressure on Wentz. I don't know if Wentz feels that pressure. Obviously, I think the coaching staff and executives are sensitive. You know, like Martin Mayhew came out, and many people have talked about this, and he said in one of the press conferences surrounding the draft, like, we have our own evaluations of guys, and people on the outside really don't matter. What we think of guys matters, right? And I like that he said that. Like, he should, they should feel that way. It's their jobs to evaluate people, but one of their one of the people that they evaluated and decided to bring in, and spend capital on, and spend significant salary cap space on is Carson Wentz. Honestly, like he needs to be pretty good to start the season to survive the Taylor Heineke pressure. Who Taylor, with all of his faults, was like pretty good, particularly as a backup if he's your guy pretty fiery and then now Sam Howe I don't think this team wanted to draft a quarterback in the draft at all they didn't want to but because they had the extra capital from the Jahan Dotson trade and they were in the fifth round and Sam Howell is sitting there and they probably had him at the second round or third round on their board they couldn't resist and they made the smart move to draft him but they didn't want to draft a quarterback in this draft because they knew what was going to happen we know that that they knew because when Ron was asked about it in that press conference, he explicitly brought up the fact that he called Carson before they made the pick to let him know that they were making the pick. Like they know how sensitive things are here. So when we talk about what the season's going to come down to, we all know this. It's like everything I'm saying is a waste of time because it's Carson Wentz. Like if he if he's underwhelming and throws like two picks and a fumble and you know doesn't do much of anything in the first game it's just going to start up of like 
this team should have a different quarterback. Um, maybe, but maybe they'll be good. And uh, I texted you or I slacked you earlier today. Carson Wentz MVP odds. Looking for him. You know, I'm trying to get some shares of the MVP stuff. So uh, I, I it comes down it. to him. I, and like, yeah, and like I said, I will just say that, like, again, not not here to tell you it's all going to be great. And Carson Wentz was the right move, and that they should have given up everything they did to get him. I think there's definitely questions there. I will just say that one, like, they didn't have a ton of options. I think that if you look at what happened in this draft, they were justified in forget whether they wanted to or not. They were justified in aggressively going for a veteran because nobody liked these rookies. You could say, well, they could have taken Kenny Pickett going twentieth. If you're the first quarterback is an indictment of you as well. That's not good. That's just like Pittsburgh needed to do something. And he was the pick. It was the only guy that anybody had suggested could play kind of right off the bat. So they took him. That's not, they didn't, you know, whatever. Uh, and everybody else obviously slid far enough that there was a consensus that none of these guys, you never know what happens, but that none of these guys were being viewed as somebody you could come in and play. And that's what they needed. And, you know, again, I'm not going to go back through the whole Matt Ryan thing, but he couldn't predict what was going to happen three weeks later. So um, I, I think it's justifiable to a degree that they went ahead and made the move and Wentz was the guy they could get, um, so on. Also, the reason why the Colts got rid of him, largely, if you're really paying attention, were not football reasons. Yeah, they stunk at the last two games, but it was the other factors, including his choice, uh, belief to not get vaccinated, played a huge role. And for what it's worth, that he that – he, did test positive late in the year, which again, even guys who get vaccinated test positive. But uh, you know, he uh test positive, doesn't play well. Maybe there's some correlation there, but it wasn't like they were it was definitively because he stunk with the playbook. He the, his numbers were reasonable. He was fine. The the ending was brutal and the owner didn't want him, which is my point is to say the commanders didn't get a guy that some other teams had from a purely football reason only get out. Just, I'm just saying, keep that in mind and, as we go and, through this summer of, you know, what, what's the, what do we got here? And like you said, nobody's going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. I totally get that. And confirm this for me, but being vaccinated or unvaccinated, just not going to matter going forward. It seems like in the NFL, like maybe things are going to change, but correct. it seems like correct at this point, that's not a, it's not a factor. Um, you know, if we'll see what happens if there's the, you know, gamma delta epsilon virus uh, variant that comes out in, uh, right. uh, in september or october but for right now it doesn't seem like that's a um seems like that's an issue um so hey doesn't matter but uh it, like for the commanders but yeah it's uh it's a very weird situation to be in with a new quarterback like typically we get very excited for new quarterbacks whoever they are whether it's tony banks todd collins jeff george whoever it is we're usually pretty pumped and this is the this is this is a guy who has had some success, particularly against this team, and it just it's it's falling. Anyways, but yeah, so it's all on him. And I agree with just small thing on Chase Young. Completely agree. Like this is is Chase Young going to be Miles Garrett or is he going to be Jadavian Clowney? And this season is where that branch breaks off. It's either he goes one way or goes another. And Jadavian Clowney is a guy who is good but has been on one-year contracts consistently over the past few years. Miles Garrett is one of the highest-paid players in the NFL and is an all-pro. So, yeah, obviously there's a big gap between the two, but sort of the circumstances with which they both went into the NFL, I think both were number one overall picks. Uh, obviously Chase is number two. 
you know, like he got hurt last year, but he wasn't good to, to before he got hurt. So this is a huge year, and he is the guy who, if he is really good, if he is dominant on defense, it's going to make John Allen better. It's going to make Deron Payne better. It's going to make Mar- uh, Montez Sweat better. It's going to make it easier for the defensive backs who are a weak spot on this team. And, you know, everything's going to click off of if Chase Young is a dominant, you know, pass rusher. So, yes, I agree with both of your answers. Fantastic. Well, look, it's fun to disagree, but it's also nice validation to hear somebody agrees with you. So, so there, so there you go. Uh, all right, let's, let, let's, let's put a bow on this there. As I said, the uh, rookie mini camp uh, this weekend, I will be out there on Friday. We'll, we'll let you know what comes of that and probably have a podcast, you know, at the start of next week from there. And if, again, if you missed any of the other podcasts regarding the draft, uh, so David Aldridge, Nikki Jabala stop by. So you can check those out on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you do your podcasting. And of course, make sure to check out my work on the athletic as well. Check out Mike's work too. When, when it comes up, he's on the, you know, audio side of things. So very secret projects. We can't even talk about them. They're so secretive, but they are exciting when they, they, I'm like the James Cameron of podcasting. Like you hear about avatar two coming out, but you never know when it's going to be. That's me. I just keep pushing the timeline back. My bosses love it. So (laughs) there, there, there you go. Um, all right. Well, appreciate Mike, your time. And thanks to everyone for, as always for listening to the podcast, but that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off until next time. See ya.